Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this sermon from God's Word will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. You can open to Psalm 78 as we prepare to study it together. And think about, as a church, how it is that we pass along this faith to the next generation. And this is a psalm for all of us, whether we have children or not, no matter what age you are, even if you are a child. This is a psalm for you. It was a psalm actually written for all the people of Israel as a part of their worship as they worshiped God. Asaph wrote it to be a song that was sung. Can you imagine singing all 72 verses of Psalm 78 in worship to God, remembering God's marvelous works? And so that's our goal today as we work through Psalm 78, to marvel at the works of God and that in all of us we would be encouraged and strengthened in our faith, and not only encouraged in our faith in the Lord, but then ready in our parts at whatever age we find ourselves to pass along that faith to somebody else. Trust in the Lord as you consider His marvelous works. Asaph opens Psalm 78 in verses 1 through 11 where we really begin to see the theme of the psalm. And he talks about how they are to tell the next generation. It's a psalm of instruction, and you notice that in the first couple verses. He calls it a contemplation in the opening line that's uh, often used of a wisdom psalm, a psalm of instruction. He tells them in verse 1, Give ear, O people. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. You need to learn these lessons, Asaph is saying. And the psalm goes on to explain how important it is that we talk about the wonderful works of God. So that, as we read in verse 4 and verse 5 and verse 6 and verse 7, so that the next generation understands the wonderful works of God and they learn to trust in Him and not to turn away in rebellion. Look at verse 8. Not to turn away in rebellion. Not to, not to set their heart on other things, but to set it aright on the Lord and to have spirits that are faithful to God. And so this psalm is for all of us. And as we summarize the theme today and think about it, we're going to put it this way. Talk openly about God's wonderful works to encourage faithfulness to Him. And of course, this is for one generation to the next generation. And that's one of the primary focuses of Psalm 78. But this is something that we as a church need to be doing, whether it's cross-generational or not that we're talking openly about the wonderful works of God in such a way that we're all encouraged to trust Him more. Now, I have that word openly in there for a reason. Because maybe you noticed as we read through specifically verses 12, really through the end, verse 72, one of the themes that keeps coming up is how Israel failed to trust the Lord. How their forefathers, and then the previous generation, and then Asaph even talks about their own generation. How they kept turning away from God in sin. One of the ways we don't like to encourage the next generation to trust the Lord is by being transparent about our own failings. 
And this is what Asaph does here. He doesn't shade the past. He doesn't pretend like they were perfect. No, he's out there. He's open about the failures of the previous generation. But in all of that, what's he point to? The faithfulness of God. So that even through our failings, we find that God is faithful. So let's learn from Asaph in this wisdom psalm how it is that you and I can talk openly about God's wonderful works in such a way that others are encouraged to be faithful to Him. Number one, we highlight the wonderful works of God from the Word. We highlight the wonderful works of God from the Scriptures. And this is kind of the focus of verses 1 through 11. Asaph speaks to the people about how important it is to pass on what he had been taught, what they had been taught from their fathers. You see that in verse 3 and 4. What we have heard, what we learned, we want to pass along to the next generation. Look at verse 4. Telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. These are things that were passed on from generation to generation. And at this point in Israel's history, they had the Pentateuch written for them. They had those first five books of the Old Testament that talked to them not only about the law, but also the history of Israel. They had written for them the testimony of God's faithfulness to His people bringing them out of captivity in Egypt. And you may have noticed in our reading that that's the subject of a lot of Asaph's testimony here is how God redeemed the people from Israel. That was the word of God. In fact, written in the Pentateuch is this verse. Listen to this. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And he goes on to describe different scenarios in which they should be talking about the word of God. God had given His Word to Moses so that the people would internalize it. They would talk about it. It would be written on their hearts, not just to memorize Scripture, but did you catch Deuteronomy 6? So that they would love God with all their heart, soul, and strength. And this was to be passed on to their children, teaching diligently the words of God. And so Asaph is encouraging them to do that again here. He talks more about it in verses 5 and 6, the goal being that every generation that comes, the children who are born would continue to hear and hear and hear about the wonderful works of God, the things that God had done. Verse 7, the goal is that those kids, those children would set their hope in God and not forget His works, but keep His commandments. And as we understand from the Old Testament, keep His commandments is not just obedience. It's to embrace wholeheartedly the Word of God, just like Deuteronomy 6 mentioned, what we just read, that they would love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what it means to keep God's commands or to embrace His Word. 
And so this is exactly what Asaph is talking about. That as we read in verse 8, they wouldn't be like the previous generation, which was stubborn, rebellious, did not set its heart aright, and whose spirit was not faithful. Verses 9 through 11 then seem to be kind of an example of this in their present day. An instance that we don't know about exactly what it was, but an instance when the tribe of Ephraim was armed for battle, but they turned back in some kind of uh, fear or cowardice. They did what the Lord had told them not to do. They turned back. They did not keep God's covenant and refused. So I think this is Asaph's example, an illustration of some who had turned away from the Lord, who were stubborn and rebellious. Asaph's encouragement to us is to highlight the wonderful works of God from the Word, and that these things would be passed on among our people from generation to generation. We like to talk about things that awe us, that surprise us, that are amazing. Maybe you've watched a sporting event, and the next time you see a good friend, you can't help but say, oh man, did you see the game? Can you believe the way that he scored that touchdown or whatever it might have been? We like to talk about things that awe us. I wonder if we are awed by God when we open the word in such a way that that becomes part of our conversation. Let me tell you what I read about the Lord in my time with him. You'd be amazed at God's faithfulness to his people Israel. This is the way we are to talk about the Scriptures. Many of you were raised in a home where that was the pattern. You talked about God and His works. And I was thinking about this and and thankful to God that I was raised in a home like that, where the, the Word was exalted. We talked about the wonderful works of God. In fact, my parents were just in town um, a week and a half ago on their way to vacation, and we were sitting in our home around the kitchen table, and uh, the four of us were there and just chatting, and uh, it, the conversation went the way it has gone many, many times in the past. We found ourselves talking about the scriptures and just delighting. We were discussing psalms and the things we had been learning as, as we've been going through the psalms, and uh, my mom at one point burst out and said, I, I just love talking about the scriptures. Isn't it fun? And we just all were enjoying talking about that together. What a blessing. And uh, that was no uncommon experience for our family to talk about God and his wonderful works. See, these are the kinds of things we must be talking about together, delighting in God and in his word and what he has done for us and how good he is as if we were talking about the great game we saw last night or the big event we had been to recently Can I tell you instead what God's been doing in my life? To highlight the wonderful works of God from the Word. You see, this begins by us delighting in God in the Word. Sometimes we approach the Scriptures with kind of a ho-hum attitude. Well, I need to read the book again. No, actually, when we open the pages of Scripture, we're not opening a book. We're opening a light A light that shows us the glory of God. So that like Moses, when he spoke with God and his face glowed, we would come away from the scriptures with glowing faces, having seen the glory of God in the text of the word of God. 
This happens again as we teach the Word of God with the aim to stir affection. The goal is not Bible literacy. The goal is not just to know Bible history. The goal is awe at the works of God. The goal is worship and affection for God. And this really can only be passed on as our hearts are in awe of our God. And so it's important for us to develop that delight in Him, that love for Him, that awe of Him that just kind of glows on our faces as we talk about the God we love from His Word. This means we teach the Word to help fight stubbornness and rebellion, to encourage loyalty to Him. Awe of God also develops in us a right sense of fear. We're humbled by His power and His strength, and we're less prone to stubbornness and rebellion. Why would we resist a God like this? This happens first in the home, right? Deuteronomy 6 talked about it, how the parents are to teach diligently the Word of God to their children. So parents, I want to encourage you. It's exhausting and tiring, I'm sure. But be encouraged, be diligent to instruct your children in the Word of God, to teach them about God's wonderful works from the Scriptures. That's the first place it happens, the primary place it happens, but it also can happen in the community of God, God's people, the church. This is a place where through our relationships, not programming, but through relationships, we pass along the wonderful works of God. This is part of the reason why we encourage families to keep their children in the worship service so that they see the family of God in awe of His Faithfulness, for instance, today, singing his praise and after the service talking about how Psalm 78 worked in our hearts. Oh, that our children would see that in our lives as we gather. This is one of the reasons that in the next few weeks we're hoping to start meeting in the gym so that our children, rather than watching the service on a screen, can see first person in live person the preaching of the Word of God and the response of God's people to the Word. What if more of our adults participated in family discipleship, having conversations not only with other adults, but with children and teens in our church, talking about the sermon and God's wonderful works in the Word? I wonder, do you know the names of all the children in our church, the teens, Could you strike up a conversation with them and talk to them about what God is doing in their life or share with them how God used the scriptures in your life this week? We could ask each other questions like, what's a wonderful work of God you have seen recently in your life? Or even as you listen to the sermon, you might think of a way you could summarize it as you talk with a child after the service. We could ask each other, how did God use the sermon in your life this week? What stood out to you about God? These intergenerational conversations ought to be a normal part of our gatherings as a church. Here's another idea. Each week we have a scripture memory passage. and Often in churches we think of those as just for the kids, but here we try to promote it for everybody. That People of every age are memorizing our weekly verse. 
But what if as an adult you memorized that weekly verse and then sought to seek out a child or a teen in a church who could help you quote it to them and back and forth each week? These are just some of the ways we can do this. We highlight the wonderful works of God from the Word. As we continue in the psalm, we have a few more verses to cover. We enter our second point where this is the main body of the psalm. And what we're going to see number two today is this, that we can be transparent about God's faithfulness through our failures. In verses 12 through 64, yes, you read that right, 12 through 64, Asaph recounts some of the history of Israel and how God showed his faithfulness to them. And you'll, you'll notice phrases through this section where Asaph kind of interjects a statement. He says something like this, yet they sinned still more and more. Hey, just real quick. Notice those verses with me. Okay, let me point them out to you. Check out verse 17. But they sinned even more against him. Notice as another example, verse 32. In spite of this, they still sinned and did not believe his wondrous works. Or or notice verses 40 and 41. How often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again they tempted God. Or or maybe verses 56 and 57. Yes, they tested, or excuse me, yet they tested and provoked the Most High God and did not keep His testimonies. This is the recurring pattern of this section, the unfaithfulness of God's people contrasted with the faithfulness of God. And I want you to notice as we get to race through this section, we're going to see two things about God's faithfulness. We're going to see how His faithful love provides for them, and they respond with discontentment. We're also going to see at times how His his faithful love chastens them. His faithful love pursues them and even brings discipline into their lives to remind them that sin leads to death. That instead they should trust the Lord and follow the Lord. And even with God's faithful love in provision and God's faithful love in discipline, we'll find that they keep turning back to their sin again and again. Yet God does not abandon them. So let's race through these verses. We're going to take a bird's eye view. Buckle your seatbelt. I'll do my best to keep us moving. And you can track along. Have your Bible open. We'll look at it together at times. We'll breeze through some verses and understand what Asaph is teaching us here. First, verses 12 through 16, Asaph points out the marvelous things that God did in bringing them out of Egypt. You see that says there in the land of Egypt and in the field of Zoan. Zoan is a reference to the wilderness where they wandered. So this is Egypt and the wilderness. And so in 13, 14, and 15, you have a reminder of the parting of the Red Sea, the pillar of fire by day, the pillar of cloud. I got that backwards. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. Verse 15, the splitting of the rocks and water coming out. All these things Asaph is reviewing, but how does he conclude in verse 17? They sinned more and more against him. Asaph continues then in 18 through 31 to talk about God's provision in the wilderness. 
He provided for them. And so you see, he provided water in verses 19 and 20, but then after the water, they ask for more. Will he give us bread also? Will he provide meat for his people? They're discontent, they're demanding. And the Lord is angered by their discontentment, but what does he do? Verse 22, they did not believe in God, they did not trust his salvation, yet he commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He provided manna for them. But even then they were discontent. And so you notice in verse 24 and 25, though they ate the manna, they ate angel's food. What did he do next? Verse 26 and 27, he provided quail, provided meat for them. But even there, notice verse 30, they were not deprived of their craving, meaning they continued to be discontent. They continued to crave more and more. And so God gave them over to their craving. They ate so much that some of them even died in that event. God's discipline. God telling them, sin is death. Stay faithful to me. In fact, if we were to look at the passage in Numbers chapter 11, the Hebrew is really interesting. The name of that place is actually called the graves of those who craved. A reminder to the people of Israel to be content with God's provision. He is faithful and he will provide. And so God's steadfast love had provided water and bread and manna, or excuse me, water, manna and quail, but they still were discontent. And so God's loving chastening reminded them that they needed to trust him. They needed to trust him. Well, Asaph continues and talks about more. Verse 32 is another one of our summary verses. In spite of this, they still sinned and did not believe in his wondrous works. So 33 and following talks about the years of futility, the the wandering in the wilderness, wasted time, so to speak. Another 40 years that they would wander before they could enter the promised land because they did not trust the Lord. And so those times are recounted in verses 35 through 39, but I want you to remember what Asaph points out here. Look look at verse 37 and 38. Their heart was not steadfast with him, nor were they faithful in his covenant, but he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity. Asaph points out again, even though they failed, God remained faithful. He showed them compassion. He did not completely wipe them out like they deserved. Verse 38 and 39 are, again, beautiful encouragements and reminders of God's character, His personality. He remembered that they were flesh, a breath that passes away and does not come again. He showed them mercy. Verse 40 is another summary verse. They provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Now Asaph's going to review what happened in Egypt and in Zoan, the wilderness. You see that there in verse 43. But this time, rather than focusing on God's provision, now Asaph focuses on God's power. And so we're going to talk about Egypt again. We're going to talk about the wilderness again. But notice how the focus is not so much God's provision as it is God's power. 
So we have in verses 44, this, the plague of the river to blood. Verse 45, the swarms of flies and the frogs. Verse 46, the insects that devoured. Uh, verse 47, the hail. Verse 48, the fiery hail that came. Uh, and then verses 49 through 51, we have the, the death of the firstborn, the final plague. All of these things reminding of God's power, how important it is to follow him and to obey him. And yet, they kept rebelling. These verses are meant to encourage the people of Israel to remember the powerful works of God. In verse 52, we transition to his shepherding. As he brought them out of Egypt, he led them. He guided them like a shepherd. He provided for them. And it remembers the way that he cared for his people. And that leads us to verses 56 and 57, where again, Asaph describes how the people provoked and tested God and did not keep his testimonies. Again and again, they failed the Lord. This time, in verses 58 through 64, we see that they turned to idolatry. And now we've entered a a period that's much closer to the Israelites who would have been using this psalm. This is the idolatry that took place during the judges and even into Saul's reign as king. And Asaph is writing during the time of David. So this is recent history. And maybe even some of the Israelites listening to this participated in these sins. By setting up high places. By worshiping idols. By turning away from God. And so we're told in verses 60 through 62 that God actually removed his presence from the tabernacle in response to their idolatry. He allowed them to be... uh, to be defeated by the Philistines. He even allowed the ark to be captured. Do you remember that story where the ark was captured? It was actually King David who was able to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. We'll read about that in the final section of the psalm. Asaph is being transparent about Israel's failures and God's faithfulness. God shows his faithfulness in two main ways. He, he provides for them in powerful ways And he also chastens them in powerful ways. God doesn't let his people abandon him. He loves them. And so he pursues them. And even though they sin and they sin and they sin and they sin, God remains faithful. This kind of transparency and openness about our failures is an important part of teaching the next generation to be faithful to God. To be transparent about the way we've been unfaithful, but God was faithful to us. We can think back just a few Psalms to Psalm 73. Do you remember where Asaph was transparent about his own temptation to be jealous of the wicked? That became a hymn that Israel sang as they remembered God's faithfulness to Asaph. It was a joy recently to participate in an opportunity to do this with two other men in our church. We, we gathered, and in fact, in our gathering, there was about three generations of men. And we were talking, one of us was struggling with something, and the other two were kind of coming alongside and saying, you know what, I've been there, I've fought that battle. Here's how the Lord worked in my life. Here's how He helped me. We were able to talk about 
tactics and how we could encourage one another and seek to gain victory in the battle against sin. Generations helping each other to fight sin and be faithful to the Lord. It requires transparency. It requires an openness, a willingness to say, you know what? I have failed in that way. Here's how God disciplined me when I was going astray and brought me back to Him. Here's how He won victory in my life. Let me help you as we walk this path together. This is not just commiserating, but encouraging us to fight shoulder to shoulder as brothers and sisters in Christ as we help one another walk with the Lord to encourage one another that it's worth it to say no to sin and yes to God over and over and over again. We tend to think about spiritual matters as private matters, but they're not. Our spiritual lives are the business of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we need to be ready to admit our failures to one another Nothing deters the next generation faster than hypocrisy. And so we must be transparent about our sins. The next generation must know that we love Jesus and that we're trying to live like Jesus, to show them Jesus. And they must know when we fail. What I did just then, that was sin. That's not what Jesus is like, and you need to know that. Would you forgive me? Here's how I'm working to change. Here's how God is using His Word in my life and how I'm seeking to live more like Him in response to His work in my heart. The goal is not to show the next generation how good we are. The goal is to show the next generation how good God is. And we do that by being transparent in our failures. And so we might need to explain to one another how God chastened us in love. How God brought His discipline into my life in a time when I was wandering from Him. We like to hide these things and and cover them up. And yes, God has forgiven us and He's removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. But we also have the opportunity to magnify God's faithfulness by sharing how He chased us down in love. To explain how God's Word has helped us time and time again. To be open about how the Word is at work in our lives. To take time as parents and adults even to talk with the children or teens about how the Word is convicting our hearts and how we're seeking to apply it this week. What if the first 15 minutes after the Sunday sermon was spent talking about the impact of the Word of God on our hearts with this person and the next person, with this child, with this teen, just talking and sharing about how the Word is working on us. To explain how God forgave us and helped us to change. To explain how God's forgiveness is present in our lives. To explain the joy of His forgiveness in response to our sin. If there were those who saw you not living like Jesus, not walking in the Spirit, 
not just to move on, but to then come back and to explain to them, you know, what you saw in me was not like Jesus. The Lord's worked in my heart. He's humbled me, and I'm seeking to live like Him again. I had the opportunity to do this uh, when our chairs arrived the other day. Uh, the chairs arrived, and we had a crew available here to work uh, on it, and uh, the crew was busy at work, and I had done a lot of the planning for the, the chairs to arrive, and you know, had kind of a vision in my own head of how this was going to go, and the steps of the process, and I began to approach the, the whole thing in a task-oriented way. You know, okay, we need to do this, we need to do this, you know, every, every box in its place, every chair in its place, you know, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And by God's kindness, I, I, I believe anyway, if you were there and I didn't, please let me know, but I believe I treated everybody with kindness and generosity. But something was just off in my heart the rest of the day. I just like, something was not right. Lord, what was it? And so talking with the Lord and seeking his help, and I, Carrie was there, and she knows me well, and so I invited her perspective. I said, Carrie, it's just something's not sitting right with the way things went that morning. What did you see in me? What was going on? And we determined together that my heart was set on tasks rather than people. My heart was set on things happening just the way I had envisioned them happening, and Who knows how I may have missed an opportunity to show the fruit of the Spirit because I was walking in Lance's shoes. Let's do this my way. Let's get this done this way. And again, by God's grace, as we both talked through that, I don't think I directly sinned against anybody, but here's what I did do. I did not show them what Jesus is like. That's wrong. And so I had the opportunity with Carrie's help to repent of that before the Lord and confess it openly to you. Why? Because this Christian life is all about that. Live like Jesus lived. And when we don't give testimony to the faithfulness of God, how he worked in our hearts through his word and brought us back to him so that we could walk like Jesus again. Oh Lord, help us to be humble and transparent about our failures so that the faithfulness of God will be magnified here in this place and we will all help one another to live like Jesus lived and to encourage each other when we need his love and forgiveness as we failed and to help one another to walk in victory as we seek to please him. This is the pattern of the Christian life to be transparent about God's faithfulness through our failures. This leads us to the final section of the psalm where Asaph brings it to the present day. And the tone is a little bit different here. It's kind of interesting. Asaph in verse 65 uh, says, The Lord awoke us from a sleep like a mighty man who shouts because of wine. That's uh, a symbol of uh, like a victory celebration. Okay, and so he's celebrating about the victory. So God stands up in power. God wasn't asleep. It's not implying that, but it's this, he's stepping into action. God has done something here. Now remember where we left things in verses uh, 56 through 64. 
The people of Israel had fallen into idolatry and God's presence had left the tabernacle and the ark was off somewhere else. They're, they're without hope. But God steps in and takes action. And Asaph goes on to explain in these verses how, how God raises up a man named David from the tribe of Judah. And as Asaph talks about David, he talks about God's choosing his servant, verse 70, so that they would follow David to shepherd the people of Israel according to integrity of heart and skillfulness of hands. Asaph is encouraging faithfulness to God's chosen king. He's encouraging faithfulness to God's chosen king. Now, for us today, we we don't follow King David, but it's right for us to encourage faithfulness in following God. And there's somebody else that the Lord has raised up to help his people. Not David, a greater king. God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as his provision for his people. God sent Jesus, not just to be the Messiah of Israel, but actually to be the Savior of the world. And his son Jesus lived a perfect life, the the life without any failures, a life that you and I will not ever live. We've already failed. Because of our failings, we deserve God's judgment, his punishment, his wrath. We deserve to be wiped out. But Jesus took our failings upon himself. He demonstrated the faithfulness of God to his people by being the provided Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. He took them upon himself. He died on the cross in my place and in your place, paid for every failing, past, present, and future, even the things you don't know about yet. Talk about faithfulness. Jesus paid for those all. He died on the cross, rose again just as he said, and ascended on high, taking his place at the Father's right hand, showing, proving that he is God's eternal king. He's the one that we must follow. And so the third way that we encourage faithfulness to the Lord is by encouraging us to follow God's chosen king, not David, but David's son, Jesus. We encourage one another to follow him. We encourage one another to live for him. David is not our king, but God has established Jesus as the shepherd of our souls. And so don't forget what God has done in your life. Let God's kindness lead to repentance and faithfulness. Surrender every area of your life to your shepherd, your master, King Jesus, and let the next generation see that in you. Let them see faithfulness to Jesus and repentance when you fail and passionate change as you seek to follow him again. He's the good shepherd. He's the good master. He's the perfect king, and he's worthy of our following. And that's exactly what we need to encourage one another to do and encourage the next generation to do as well. As we seek to follow the Lord, as we seek to be faithful to Him, 
One of the ways we do that in the life of our congregation is to talk openly about God's wonderful works so that we're encouraged, others encouraged, and especially the next generation is encouraged to trust the Lord, to set their hope in Him, as verse 7 and 8 say, to love Him with all their hearts and to follow Jesus for the rest of their days. This is how God wants us to pass the faith along to the next generation. Father, we thank you for Psalm 78 In the encouragement it is to us, we think of the ways that you have shown your faithfulness to us, how using your word and using your spirit, you have pursued us, you've chastened us and convicted us of sin. Father, crush our pride and give us the humility to be open with one another about the ways that you have been faithful, to declare with praise your wonderful works and the victory you are purchasing, you are working in our lives over sin. May this be a place where our hearts are faithful to you and we're helping the next generation to be faithful to you as well. We give ourselves to you for your praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly and to God be the glory.